Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. He's covered the big events and talked to the biggest names in sports for more than three decades. Breeze, end zone, he hit 500 career touchdown passes. From Super Bowls to the World Series, he's been there, he'll be there, and he's here now for CMI, the Chris Myers interview. Nice to have Dean Blandino. He's the uh, Fox Rules Analyst, along with Mike Pereira, with us on CMI here on the Chris Myers interview on, on Podcast One. And he was a former vice president of officiating with the NFL before Fox added him. So, so it's uh, nice to catch up with you, Dean. Let's, let's talk first about uh, what was controversial, not to the degree of what we had with the Rams and Saints uh, years ago, three years ago in the postseason. But that call at the end of the Packers-Buccaneers uh, game, and Troy Aikman making the point that, boy, they've let him play all day, and then they call this at the end. Uh, your thoughts on, on that pass interference call that allowed the Bucks to keep the football, keep it away from Rodgers, and essentially uh, seal it for Tampa Bay? Yeah, I think, you know, Troy, like a lot of people, felt the same way. that, And I think that's always the concern when you hear that refrain quite a bit, let him play, right? And when, and when you take that approach, let them play, and you let things go that you would normally call or you let fouls go, then it becomes harder to call a foul late in the game. And and to me, it's a foul. You can see the jersey stretch. It takes a a step away from God when he was affected. And, And had the officials been calling the game more closely throughout and less of that let them play mentality, I don't think there's as much outcry about the call. So the call itself to me was there. It was a foul, but like Troy said, and a lot of other people felt, okay, you're going to let them play for, for 58, 59 minutes and then make that call at the end of the game. It's harder to swallow that call when you have that, that, you know, 58, 59 minute where you're letting a lot of things go. How do they decide uh, Dean, and maybe this is a question for officiating crew, when they're going to let him play or not, or does this just kind of yeah. happen organically? Sometimes it happens organically. I think this year it was more intentional, not just playoffs. You always see fouls go down in the playoffs, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You, in theory, you have the better teams, right? There's more at stake. They're going to take less chances. They're going to they're going to they're going to be more disciplined than 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 perhaps in the regular season, but. Again, this year, there it felt like more of a mandate from the officiating leadership that we're only going to call clear and obvious. And, and, and even my time as vice president, Mike Pereira, would tell you the same thing. We never wanted our officials to be overly technical. You don't want to call ticky-tack fouls, but you have to be careful about how you message that. You can't just say, well, it has to jump out. It has to be, you know, everybody jump off the off the screen. And, and you're only going to call those fouls because there are things that have an effect that may not jump out necessarily to everybody watching. And so um, I think sometimes it just happens organically. This year it felt a little more intentional. And when you get into the postseason, it's even where it's even more more of a, a more evident that they're letting it go. And then when you have to make a big call at the end of the game, like I said, it just becomes that much tougher for everybody to justify. You know, Dean, I, I think as a fan, even a broadcaster, but somebody watching, I, I think we all like it that, you, you know, it's not so technical that you could call a, a penalty or foul on every play that, you know, you, you do let him play. Maybe you don't, you don't shout that out to the world. Uh, but when it is clear and obvious, you, you call those. Isn't, isn't that kind of better for the game anyway and the officials? If it's, you know, let the little stuff go, maybe that's a better way to word it. And when it is so obvious, uh, then we, you know, then we enforce it. 
Yeah, I think that is. And, and, and look, it's always the path of, of least resistance is less flags is, is less. It's less. The game is interrupted less. The game can flow more, but you can take it. It's, it's just balance and you can take anything too far. You can call too many fouls and be too technical or you can be so liberal where you're letting everything go, and then the game starts to get out of control, right? We saw that with the with the Chiefs and the Bills, where that game started to get chippy at the end of the game when when it when it really was out of out of reach for the Bills. So again, it's all about balance. You don't want to be overly technical. I think it is good for for the flow of the game, but sometimes if you go too far. Then players start to realize, okay, I can get away with more. And then, okay, especially on the offensive and defensive line, if you're letting too much holding go on, then the defensive line gets frustrated. Then the pushing and shoving starts, and that can lead to other things. So you just have to create that that good balance between letting the little stuff go, not being overly technical, but calling the fouls that are there. Yeah, you know, I was, I was watching with my son going back to the Green Bay Tampa Bay game, and I and I kind of said that I, he was he was saying, well, what you know, when they're letting him play, and, and I said, well, you know, a, a DB if he knows early that he can get away with a little you know push here or at the line or whatever, then he's going to keep right. That's a player mentality. They're going to keep pushing it to the envelope to the edge, um, and and that's when something becomes obvious. Is is that physical? Whenever there's video of a guy pulling a jersey, right? You know, it's tough with elbows and arms and all that type of thing. That that's kind of an obvious run, right? When you when you you see that and I, I that, that it, there was some kind of holding going on or interference yeah yeah you see you know there was a play earlier in the game on the on the Rodgers one of Rod, the interception where where it felt like there was a grab there was a jersey pull yeah. pull you you saw the receiver almost the, the the shoulder pad started to show that to me when you see that and you don't call that then that that DB knows okay the bar is the bar's a little higher in terms of what they're going to call, so I can get away with more. And that's where you start to give a team an unfair advantage if they're going to if they're going to do that. And that's coached, and it's and rightfully so. You know, going in, if this crew is not going to call fouls, if they're going to let more things go, we're going to continue to coach and play to where that line is. And uh, and that's just smart football, and that's what you see, uh, you know, in these games. Uh, Dean, how would you rate? I don't know if you had a chance to you look at numbers, you're watching all the games. How how would you rate this year's officiating in, in the NFL across the board up to this point? And I'll ask you about the Super Bowl officiating crew too and and what impact that, that can have with the with the with the Bucks and Chiefs. But uh, I mean if you're giving it a grade, an A, a B, a C, I know we're taking into consideration just like the teams, the kind of crazy year that sure. or season that we had in twenty twenty. How how would you rate it? You know, I, I think they've done a good job and I've never seen in my experience officiating from one year to the next, it never gets, you know, so much better or so much worse in one year. Usually that takes over a course of several years where you start to see hopefully, a, you know, an increase in, in, in efficiency and, and competency. And sometimes you might see a little bit of a down, downward trend. This year, like you said, this was such an unusual year with no real offseason, no preseason. Preseason, as important as it is to the club's. It's so important to the officials because that's where they can really, without impacting the standings, they can kind of set the standard and go out and maybe throw flags that that you might not throw in the regular season and you can adjust and the officiating department can look at that. So overall, I think the officiating has been really good considering all the circumstances. You know, I'd, I'd give them a B plus, but there's always room for improvement and you just worry about 
okay, if, if fouls were, you know, for the last five or six years at 16, 16 and a half per game, and it's down, you know, around 13 per game, that's a pretty big difference. And, and if that continues, then in the competition committee will continue to look at that and determine, hey, is this good for the game or are we seeing areas where we need to tighten up? And I, I don't think you'd do that in one year. I think it's too small a sample size. Yeah, especially this year. Did you notice any, were there any obvious, foul, you know, we go through trends, holding is up or pass interference is down or whatever. Were there any ones this year that, I don't know how many, how many opportunities you've had to look close, more closely at the numbers, but certain areas that were either way up or way down that were a little out of whack for just this past season? Yeah, well, overall numbers, we haven't had fouls were right around 13 per game. We haven't had numbers like that since the 70s, and, and that, that's significant. Wow. Holding, offensive holding, no doubt, was, was you know, historically low. And again, one year, not, not a, a, a big sample size, but if you continue to allow that, now you're, now you're taking the, the less skilled player and giving him an advantage if he can hold an Aaron Donald you know, or a Fletcher Cox and you heard even Aaron Donald during the season complain about a lack of holding. And if offensive linemen know they can get away with that, that's going to create an advantage and frustration on the defensive line. So offensive holding was definitely something that jumped out this year. And I think that's something the competition committee needs to look at. How will the crew be constructed for the, uh, for the Super Bowl this year? I know during the season yeah. there was some regionalization because of travel restrictions and, and the pandemic. Will things be that different as far as the kind of crew or the, the, the numbers of officials that will be involved? Well, I think the only difference, the way the crew was selected, no different than any other year. It's not like you're, you're traveling around, you know, week to week where you, you try to regionalize. These officials will be down in Tampa, you know, five, six days before the game. They'll have a chance to acclimate, get tested, go through all the screening and protocols. So what you do is you look at each position, seven, seven positions, and you look at there's a top tier they're graded uh, each game, and they're and they're basically you know evaluated against their position, the peers at each position, line judge, down judge, umpire, and you have the the officials from the top tier are chosen for the Super Bowl. So you have the top officials at each position in this game. What's different this year is that you know normally for the Super Bowl you have five alternate officials in case there's an injury. This year you'll have seven alternate officials, so there will be an entire second crew. If, you know, knock on wood, something happens COVID related or anything else. So so you'll have two full crews there, the crew that's assigned to work the game and then the alternates that can step in in case of an emergency. OK, uh, we uh, we're talking about, you know, your time with the league and then with, with Fox and Mike Pereira as, as a rules analyst. Where is the line going? on replay and and the use of it on on certain plays i know a couple of games in the playoffs that uh, it's not reviewable with somebody when they led with their helmet the, the ball around the goal line remember when it went over and they lost possession in the uh, in the game I think it was baltimore buffalo is that what it was if i'm if i'm recalling uh, how that went or maybe it was a, a kc game but um in terms of do they review that every year and say okay we should make these plays now reviewable if they're not and are we moving closer to like college where it's just constantly going to be reviewed because dean and you you come from the electronic age here it just seems like we see and i know you can stop and freeze everything but sometimes with the guys on the field out of position the officials miss something and then we see it on replay and it's so obvious the ball hits the the chalk mark on the kickoff you know and it should be down right away instead of the players panicking and i know they let it go and they review it and they got it right uh, but 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 isn't there a connection all the way through where somebody watching in New York can say right away, hey, uh, we need to throw a flag on this? 
Yeah, I think we're headed in that direction, whatever you want to call it, video official, sky judge is a term that's been thrown around. And, and look, back in, I remember back in 1999 when, when we brought replay back and the late, great George Young, and he, he said it at the time, you know, he was very concerned, as were others around the league, about, right, the mushroom effect, that, that once we get started, we're putting this system in to just deal with obvious error in a significant situation. But every year you're going to see something come up and then you're going to add to the rule. And, it, and we've seen this, right? We, we yes. saw it with pass interference in the, in the NFC Championship game two years ago. So what, what, we're, what, what has to be done, right, with the competition committee and, and NFL and officiating leadership is to maintain that balance between allowing the officials and the human element to take place on the field, but to, to kind of supplement that with technology because the technology continues to improve. It's only going to get better, and it's getting better at a rate much faster than the officials are getting better on the field. But where do you draw the line? Do we want to sit there after every play and wait for some green light from somebody up in a booth to say, you know what, everything's okay, and now we can move on? I don't think that's reasonable but I think as you see these games and, and, and the magnitude and what, what, what goes into these games, when you see an obvious mistake, you obviously want to have an, a mechanism to fix it. I just think there needs to be a balance because you can go too far with replay. Yeah, now, right now when they say New York is deciding, simplify for people listening who may not realize yeah. and, and some have seen what, what goes on there, but how that, how that works, and at least I'll give the NFL credit because we do live in that technology world, and if people are seeing it at home on TV or watching it and, and they're not correcting it in the actual game, well, then that's not right. So at least they have that video overview at the moment, how it works and, and to what plays can be reviewed is one thing, but simplify for us the, the chain of command and how they try to, to correct anything that's missed on the field through replay. Yeah. So a review is initiated one of two ways, either the coach challenges it or the replay official at the stadium stops the game inside two minutes, scoring plays, turnovers, those types of things. And then at that point, the referee will come over put on a headset, start to communicate with the replay official. What angles do you have? What are, what are we looking at? What's the call in the field? And then the people in New York, whether it's Al Riveron or Russell York, will also have a headset on and will speak to the referee and the replay official. And they'll have a conversation about, again, what was the ruling on the field? What are we looking at? Okay, the left foot at the sideline. Did the ball hit the ground? Was the knee down? And ultimately, they'll make a decision. The referee can provide input. The replay official can provide input. But it's the folks in New York that have the final decision-making power. They'll make a decision, and then sometimes you'll say, okay, why is it taking so long? Well, then if, we're, if, we're, if they're going to overturn the call in the field, they got to figure out, okay, it was ruled a completed pass. Now we got to figure out where are we putting the ball back to the line of scrimmage? What down is it going to be? Do we need to reset the clock? So, so that's really the chain of command, and that's what happens when a play goes to review. Yeah, and at least there is something in place to try and miss those that, that are so obvious. How many years did you actually spend at the, at the, at the league, uh, Dean? Because I know that you, and, and I don't mean this, uh, but people wondering, how does one become you know v- vice president of officiating before you went into the broadcast area? I don't know if that started out as a goal for you or if that's something, because I don't believe you ever, at least on the NFL scale, officiated on the field, correct? Correct. Yeah, my my journey was much different than any other vice president of officiating or really most most people in officiating. I didn't I didn't know anything about officiating. I didn't I didn't have any interest in it or wasn't really exposed to it at a young age. 
And I just, I, I played football my whole life. I love sports. And, and when I graduated from, from college, I sent my resume to the NFL. Just was, I grew up in New York. They had an office in New York and I just took a chance and they had an internship, a couple of internships. I interviewed and, and got the internship in officiating and, and that's kind of where it took off. And I learned the game from an officiating standpoint, watching video and being exposed to people like Art McNally and Jerry Seaman and, and all these great, great people in officiating. And, and that, that was my path, which was much different than most. Yeah, no, you play. Well, you played football. Uh, was it Hofstra? You played. I know some. You played some tight end position before. Yeah, right? I played football in high school. I didn't play in college, okay. but I did. I did go to Hofstra. We we no longer have a football program, but when we did, Hofstra was an NFL factory. The num Wayne Krebet, Marcus Colston, Lance Schulters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I challenge any small school to put out that many players to the NFL. <laughs> well, and, and Raheem Morris, I, I believe. Raheem, who's right? not. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There, there was a, you know, there was a, a big, a lot of guys from Hofstra made it to the NFL. And then, uh, you know, then the program, they disbanded the program in, in the mid 2000s. All right. So in, in your path, your chain of command coming up through the company, so to speak, right from way you're, you're the transition to more replay TV video use, I, I think is an area that you kind of shined. Is that correct? Yeah, that was my background. I had a communications degree, television production. So I had the video background. And when I started in the at the NFL in the mid 90s, it was really we we were moving to digital video. Right. In the 80s, it was 16 millimeter and they were you know putting bed sheets on the wall and and projectors and those types of things. And, uh, and so it was really moving to the digital video, the Internet, exchanging video like we do today. And that really, you know, my experience in, in, in school really helped me um, with, with my development. And then replay came, we were thinking about bringing replay back. And it was all, you know, the old system in 86 to 91 was two VCRs. I mean, that's all it was. Wow. And, they, and they were recording both. And if you <laughs> wanted to look at something, you had to stop. And I don't know how many people who are listening even remember VCRs. Yes. But you had to stop one. <laughs> <laughs> keep the other one recording rewind i mean it was so cumbersome and uh and in 99 we had digital video we were capturing all of it you could jump around with touch screen and everything else so it made it much more efficient and and i think that ultimately was the technology that uh that allowed us to get the rule passed and and it's only you know it's only expanded since your comedy or stand-up comedy come into this because that I, I had I read that and then I asked you about yeah I did it Mike Pereira told me you did a little bit of that so was that experimental was that through your college years or uh, give us a little bit of that yeah you know it wasn't again it was something that just um I had a, a very good friend of mine who was actually working at the NFL at the time and and she was doing stand-up comedy and acting and and I, I went to see her a couple of times and she just said you know, just from hanging around with me, she's like, you should try it. I think you'd be really good. And I was like, no, I, I you know, you, you, the idea of standing up in front of a bunch of strangers is, is intimidating. And then finally I just said, okay, I'm going to do it. And went to an open mic, um, had a few, had a few adult beverages just to get my courage up and, and did it and really just fell in love with it. I never, it was never a career goal for me. I, you know, I was at the NFL and, 
and replay had started. And, and I knew that that was probably my career path, but I just loved getting up in front of people and, and doing that. And it, and it really, you know, I did it for about 10 years off and on. And, and it really helped me in my career, you know, cause if you can get up in front of a group of strangers and, and entertain them for five, 10, 15 minutes, you can get up in front of coaches, you can get up in front of players, ownership. It, it's, it's no longer intimidating. At least that was my experience. So it really helped me and it helped me in officiating dealing. Cause in, when you're the vice president of officiating, when a coach calls on Sunday night or Monday morning, it's not to tell you how great a day, you know, how, how's your day going? It's usually not a fun conversation. So sometimes having a sense of humor can help that conversation uh, move <laughs> along in a, in a productive way. Yeah. You, I mean, when you did our seminar stuff before at Fox, you know, we'd come in, we have NFL people come in and talk to us as uh, our broadcasters at, at Fox. And I'm sure the other networks do it. So that we get caught up on the rules regulations from, from you. And then uh, you, you certainly stood out very comfortable in that environment, just like Mike Pereira b- b- before you. And then of yeah. course, working with Mike. So how do you and Mike work things now at, at, at Fox? And I know you guys do colleges as well. What's the, is you have a rotation? Is there a, you guys flip a coin? About, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, I've been working with Mike for a long time. I've, I've known Mike since again, the mid nineties when he started at the NFL as a supervisor of officials worked for him when he was vice president. Um, so when, when it, with the colleges, we kind of just split the day, especially now Mike normally in, in, in a non COVID world would be traveling with, with, with Troy and Joe and, and that crew, but this year not traveling. So we would split the Saturday, the college day, he would work the early games and I'd work the late games or vice versa. And then with the NFL games, we really were just assigned to a, to a production crew, he, you know, him, he would work with with Rich Russo and Richie Zients, and I'd work with the Pete Macheskich crew and and uh, and Mark Tettleman, and and so we just kind of divided it that way. And we have a really good working relationship, and it's fun to to be in the studio with him because as much you know as much as I love him, I like to give him a hard time in the studio. <laughs> you know, with him with, with him, he's wearing his Uggs because his feet get too cold in the studio. So that's uh, it's always fun to give him a little little bit of a hard time. Yeah, we always see his his vest uh, suit outfits, which people tease him about on camera. We don't see the other things. And you, you're good. I was going to say, this is some of your uh, comedic heckling because when you're on, whether it's uh, somebody like Pereira or you're on with uh, Bruce Murray, Brady Quinn on Sirius NFL Radio, you you love to to kind of uh, verbal jabs or you can at least hang with them if they throw something. Oh, yeah. That's my my dream. You know, a lot of people say, is this your dream job? And I'm like, this is close to my dream job. But my dream job is, you know, I go back, my my parents, my dad, they were big Dean Martin fans. That's why they named me Dean. And, you know, I don't know if you remember the Dean Martin roasts. And, and yes. you could go, I mean, that's my dream, to host a roast show like that, like Dean Martin and have people. And I know you've done it at the Fox <laughs> seminar. So if we can get together and do a roast show, I'm in. <laughs> All right, good. You, we, we will put that together. I'd love. We'll get, we'll get the executives, baby. We there always pick on the, you know, the big shots too, like the Terry Bradshaws and the Troy Aikmans to, to tease. But I, I did. I love. By the way, love those roasts. I still go back on YouTube and find because the people that gathered for those, and I know there's a, a generation here, but not just Dean, Dean Martin, but whether it was Bob, you had like you had a mix too of a, of a Ronald Reagan or a Johnny oh, Carson. It was a list in um, yeah. in a lot of areas, sports. I mean, Muhammad Ali. You'd have you'd have the the actors the politicians right. it's unbelievable and i if you go go on youtube and and just watch those the dean martin roast they're hilarious 
probably can't say as much as they did back then today, but right. you know, it's, uh, that's, it's worth taking a look. Well, yeah, that's where Don Rickles for people that don't oh, know, man. Was, you know, would insult everybody and make fun of himself was just outstanding at going up there and pecking on, you know, a, a president or like you said, a, uh, you know, one of the great boxers or whoever, whoever the celebrities were at the time, actors. What, t- so what was your, uh, you did clubs in New York mostly yeah. when you were doing like, and what were some of it is, uh, I don't know, catch a rising star. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. And, yeah, no, I just did like I just did clubs in New York. There's a ton. I mean, I I lived in Manhattan for about, you know, 12 years. And uh, and so it was really easy. You just, you know, go down the street, go to the Comedy Cellar or New York Comedy Club and you can do an open mic or you can you know, you can get booked for a show. And it was just a lot of fun. And, yeah. and you get to you know meet a lot of people. But, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, you understand this because you've done this you know, like I said at the seminar, it's it's all about the audience. You know, you could right. have a great audience or you could have an audience that's a dud and the same joke might not go over with uh, with different audiences. So it's always fun to experiment with that stuff and, and just see, you know, see what makes people laugh. Yeah, well, and, and uh, you know, there is a rush. You, you described that it's a great risk, a, a high wire act, because I did some of that too. And yeah, coming out of college and, and uh, you know, really connecting with your audience, having the material, thinking on your feet, right? Reacting. You you have to have a plan and a concept yeah, of absolutely. the kind of humor. Did you have a certain style of humor? I mean, you know, the old school stuff was, you know, where I was growing up and the relatives and that kind of stuff. Was there anything that you thrived on that, that you were comfortable with? Yeah. I mean, my stuff was more like observational and, and talking about my family. I wasn't like the one liner guy, you know, okay. it was more it was more just storytelling and things about you know even just I mean just yesterday my mom is I love her to death but I had a text exchange with my mom she still doesn't understand you know she lives in New York I live in California she thinks because the game starts here at 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 305 and 605 in New York that I'll know the score before her and just trying to explain that to her is it's hilarious and like things like that that just happen in life and I still make notes in my phone when something funny happens and uh, yeah. you know who knows well- that is funny because tech. I just say there's a whole new avenue here. There are a lot of things you can't joke about publicly, but just technology itself, right? Where that commercial for Progressive, where the it's oh, I love somebody. it. Yes, right. Don't become your parents with love it. it. Just you could just get a lot of material off of that. That that certainly all all ages or, or generations. I, I did that the other day. I've got my my ten year old. I have a ten year old and a five year old boy, and I told my ten year old. I told him to stop snacking before dinner because he was going to ruin his appetite. And I was like, it's complete. The it's, transition is complete. <laughs> I, I am now my father. So that's right. That's I at the, at the thermostat, anything with the thermostat or, you know, if you eat something, don't go swimming for 20 minutes, whatever. The, oh, yeah. I, used to I like, remember <laughs> the keeping my, you know, we, when we were growing up and I, keep the door open. He'd be like, are we, are we going to heat the whole neighborhood? What are we doing? You know? <laughs> I, I used to have my dad run around turning lights off saying, what, what, what do I work for the electric company? Exactly. Here? Let's go. We got, I was like, well, I mean, is this really costing us that much? Are we really you know, hurting the, the oh, ecology yeah. of our country? Anyway, very, very funny. Who, so who are some, you mentioned Dean Martin, which I did not know that all the things about you uh, because my idols were like Johnny Carson and, you know, some of the guys we talked about, but uh, who, who were a couple of comics that you either really enjoyed as a kid or, or, or still make you laugh? today and because there's a there's yeah. a current you know run of guys that are hysterical yeah i mean the johnny carson i mean you just go back and watch the johnny carson he, he's amazing he was amazing dean martin but i for me like when growing up the guy that i idolized and again his comedy i don't know how how 
I think it's still relevant. I'm just not sure how much he can do is Eddie Murphy. I mean, I, I love listening to Eddie Murphy, um, Richard Pryor, George Carlin. um, The, those were the guys I grew up listening to um, and just amazing, just so talented. And, and that's kind of to, to just sit there. I can still go back and watch whether it was delirious or raw and, and, and just laugh. Um, and there's a lot of good comics today. I know, you know, one Tom Segura is really good. I saw him, I don't know, a year and a half ago out in LA. There's, there's so many talented people um, on, uh, you know, Netflix. They have, they have the specials and, and, but Eddie Murphy was definitely one that I idolized growing up. Oh, that's, uh, that's interesting that, that that came out. I, I, I did want to go back to, you know, the rush of it all. Did you have, well, especially at nightclubs late at night and people, did, any hecklers that, uh, yeah. you know, kind of. Yeah, you know, I learned the hard way. I had I had been doing it for a while and I had never been heckled. And 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 so I didn't have any I didn't have any anti-heckling material prepared. I just was unprepared. And the first time I got heckled, I froze. I didn't know what to say. And this guy crushed me. And and so I, the only thing I could think to of to do, I kind of like I, I, after my set, I like try to find him because I wanted to fight him. That was my, that was my response, you know, at a younger age, you know, and I've grown since then. So I learned after that to have, to have good heckling material. And, uh, and, you know, I watched go on, you can go on YouTube now and you watch these, these amazing comedians handle hecklers and, uh, and it's an art. And and I didn't have that skill right away. I, I was unprepared the first time. Yeah, and I know I'm talking to some too. You you want to try to get the audience on your side That's versus it. the heckler, right? Then 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 you win the room. The uh, Bill Burr is very funny today. Sebastian, have you seen? You know, Sebastian does great comedy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, and he and he kind of does a little bit of the observational humor and relates it to his being Italian and his wife and their culture and and the food and you know and even getting in an Uber car today and <laughs> and how we operate. He's he's very funny. So yeah, his um, his. That's my background as well. My mom was born in Italy. My dad was Italian. So, you know, that a very, very similar background to uh, to Sebastian to Sebastian. Yep. You did mention before and I, and I mentioned Hallmark uh, movies. Right. And is it what, what's the is the attraction just that they're kind of so make believe that everything's OK in those that. that yeah. Uh, you, know. you know, the Hallmark movie, everything, everything feels so heavy, especially <laughs> nowadays. Right. Right. And, and Hallmark movies, and I've, I've really enjoyed them for a long time. It's just like an escape there. Even when there's a problem, it's not that big a deal. Like they, they always overcome it at the end. And the two people always find their way back together or they connect right. or whatever it may be. And I just, it, you know, it's rinse and repeat, but I love it. <laughs> and they just, and they just, you know, now, you know, we have the winter getaway and we're going to move into the it's not just the Christmas movies and holiday right. movies. We're going to have the the Valentine's movies and then the spring movies and then the fall <laughs> harvest. It's just it's all year round. Yes, it's it's uh, there. Yeah, there's always great pain and romance, but somehow they make the romantic thing work out. And you're right around the holidays. Just the look of however they dress it up. I always like I say I want to go so there. Amazing. I want to have. There. Yeah, they. 
just enough snow and they there's always cookies and the little candle and the, and the lights and the, you know it just has a has a great atmosphere you did mention something in dealing with coaches and having a sense of humor uh w- what does the league do coaches send in and I, I won't hold you too much longer here but when coaches send in a review after a game that they hey this we yeah. got this you know wrong uh the league is often honest with them right it just says hey here's why we yeah. called it or here or we made a mistake and then that's it it goes away i mean it, that's well tough. yeah that that was such a big part i always felt that was a big part when I was the vice president, that that communication with the clubs was so critical and so important to the success of the department because the good communication officials are going to make mistakes. Look, they're going to miss calls. And it's just, how do you deal with it? How do you have that conversation with the coach that's fired up? And look, these two coaches in the Super Bowl could not be more different as it pertains to officiating. Andy is very, you know, Andy can get fired up, but he's very, you know, he he's more reasonable, whereas B.A., We'll just let you have it. And, (laughs) and then, and then, and then it's over. Like he's MF'd me uh, a million times on the phone, (laughs) hung up and then called me the next day. And, and we would BS about something completely different. So it's, it's, you just kind of, you, there's a, there's a, a, an official program, uh, a structure in place where you can submit questions. Clubs can submit questions every week about, you know, was this pass interference or was this the correct call for holding, or it might be a rules question. And then other coaches, you know, a lot of coaches, Sean Payton never sent in questions. He always wanted to call and go through it um, okay. on the phone. And so you you do it that way, but that communication was so important, and that those relationships were so important, at least in my mind. Because if I had a good relationship with a coach, then he's he's more likely to hear me out and and see my side of it. Versus if there's poor communication, then he's either going to stop calling or uh, or the communication is going to be real negative. All right, a couple of things before I let you go. Dean Blandino uh, with us, at uh, rules analyst for Fox and, and former vice president of officiating with the NFL. What, what is, and I know we discussed it quite a bit, what do you think is the next step in video replay? Yeah, I think I think we're going to see some version of a video official, Sky Judge, where it's a person in the booth um, that can act as another game official and and can – radio down they have wireless communication and so can radio down to the referee and uh, and say hey you know there's a face mask throw the flag or you know like the 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 touchback play in the in the green bay in the nfc game where right away you just say hey the ball hit the hit the goal line it's a touchback and you don't have to go through the coach challenging it so i think that's going to happen i know the league did want to they did want to experiment with that in the preseason but unfortunately we didn't have a preseason so i would imagine there might be some experimentation with that going forward and maybe an implementation in the near future all right and then the one rule that you would would change or alter going forward if you were in charge you know i don't i think the i think the game is in a pretty good place i i was never a fan of changing a bunch of rules every year because you know, then everybody has to readjust players, coaches, officials, and there's a learning curve when you do that. So I think the, the, the game is in a good place. I, I think for me, it's more of just the competition committee looking at the standard, especially as it, as it pertains to offensive holding and the downfield game with pass interference, mm-hmm. and just making sure it's a consistent standard and, and what is and what isn't a foul and making sure the officiating department has good direction because if they've got good direction, they're going to they're going to communicate to the on-field officials. So there isn't really a rule that jumps out. I just think overall you're just you're just looking for that consistency across the board. 
Yeah, with player safety, any though any other rules you might repeal or simplify or take off because it does get a little bogged down. And I agree with you for the officials, the players, the fans. You have to have rules, but the more complicated they are, and some of them are just complicated naturally. You can't change that. But are there some we could do away with or lighten up? Yeah, well, I think the the use of the helmet rule has been, um, you know, there's been a, a real steep learning curve for everyone, and we saw where we saw a, a flag thrown in the in the in the NFC game um, near the goal line with the defender lowering his head. A lot of those you have the runner also mm-hmm. dropping his head. Who's initiating the contact? We saw the play from from the divisional game with Cleveland and Kansas City that wasn't called at the goal line. So I think that's one where the officials in real time are still. It's still a challenge for them and uh, anything that the league, I know they've really worked hard on, on with video examples and trying to teach the players not to lower your head. Sometimes I think it's inevitable, you know, that, that, that head to head contact in this sport is going to happen. And, uh, and I don't think you can legislate it completely out of the game. Um, But, but again, player safety is of utmost importance and what we've learned about head injuries and concussions. I think the league has done a really good job. Um, over the course of 15, 20 years, you know, back to my involvement. But, uh, you know, I think you have to continue to look, look at ways to, to make it easier for the officials, not, not harder. And because uh, I think the game just continues to get faster. The technology continues to get better. And, uh, and the officials have to try to keep pace with that. Yep, and the players uh, so much more talented and uh, just faster, stronger uh, in, in that sense. All right, hey, uh, and the final question: You ever make Roger Goodell laugh, whether, whether it was intentional or not? When, when you were... <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I think I don't know if any that jump out. Roger, what? Here's the thing that I, I, I wish I wish people could see the behind the scenes, Roger. Uh, you know the you know the guy that that you you'd be at the bar and have a beer with. I th- I wish that we'd see more of that, Roger. And again, I know you're the commissioner of this, you know, the most successful sports organization in, in, in at least the, on this continent. Um, but you know, he's got a sense of humor. Um, he's not one of these guys that, that, you know, he's unapproachable. Um, he's, you know, he's definitely, he, he doesn't mince words and, uh, and he's going to tell you how he feels, but, um, you know, I'm sure I've made him laugh at some point. I'm sure I've made him say, you know, have other emotions as well along, along the, uh, along the way. Yeah. No, and you're right for a powerful guy with the moments we've been around him and shit, he, he really is. And I, it really bothers me when people judge in the position and they boo and they don't know the guy. Sure. Uh, and he's in a tough spot. He's a very likable guy. A real, really a regular kind of down to earth guy. Who's, uh, who's obviously uh, done a good job and, and I think still does uh, under some really challenging circumstances. What the NFL was able to do this year and the officials and the players and everybody, and despite criticism and from all different angles, I mean, they were able to to pull it off and onto the Super Bowl. Well, hey, this was fun. And uh, again, I'd love to have you back to talk more comedy, yeah. especially. Uh, and we will uh, listen for you and watch for you when, when Fox is on. And uh, of course, I'll, I'll see you around. But uh, thanks for coming on, dude. It was really fun. I appreciate it, Chris. Have, thanks for having me. All right, Dean Blandino with us at CMI, the Chris Myers interview. And thanks for listening in on podcast. Thanks for listening to CMI, the Chris Myers interview. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. 